Well, our names are Teresa and Gumby. Welcome to Escaping Society. We wrote our own song so we wouldn't have to pay for anyone else's copyright infringement. And we live in a van and we eat from the trash. Making this podcast open for cash. You better listen up because we probably won't last. Because we can't compete with nonsense. Hypnotizing nonsense. Welcome to Escaping Society, Mile Marker 136. I'm Teresa. I'm Gumby. And, woo, I have had a day. Another day. And, uh, I'll, I guess I'll just keep it short because, listeners, you don't know everything of what goes on in our life, even though you think you might. Um, I get, like, these waves of, I don't know, like, bad tantrums or something and a lot of times I can catch them but Gumby can attest that sometimes they slip through so this morning I uh I had a little bit of a tantrum Gumby wasn't necessarily there to see it I don't know if you heard me but uh it was stupid it was really dumb and looking back I uh I don't know why I get so damn riled up over stupid crap like shredded cheese falling in the bottom of a frying pan stupid you know what I mean so I took a little walk down to the creek and uh tried to like center myself by the water just like being really still let some waves of emotion go over me and uh by the time I left that spot I felt much calmer and um, decided that I should probably do some physical stuff today to, like, really get that energy level back to a, a manageable place. Do you ever... I don't think that you really have that. I think you're more even-keeled than me. Who, me? Yeah. No. The iPad. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you might have meant the audience. Oh. Um. I don't think so. Actually, like one of my, I feel like defining characteristics, especially when I was younger, was uh, emotional instability. Um, And I feel like it's only because of how extremely emotionally unstable. I mean, I used to have, I don't know how to even describe it. Like, I don't want to call it a breakdown because that puts me in this category where you think you know what it is and it doesn't really fit there. But I'd have like these uh, overwhelming emotions where I'd just go into the woods and I would pound on the ground. I'd scream, I'd cry. Um, and that's if I could get it into the woods before it just blew. Um, so perhaps, and I only say perhaps I might be like, uh, maybe better at navigating it sometimes, you know, like I meditate twice a day and I, you know, I'm not saying that like, Oh, and that's why I'm so, you know, calm or whatever, but I think it does give me just a little bit more breathing room, wiggle room to kind of navigate sometimes and just to like maybe shut up before I say, like for all the things I say that are like, damn, that was unkind, that was unnecessary, that was, uh, you know, something I wish I hadn't said. There are so many times that I do manage to stop myself. So yeah. And this time of year, man, we were talking about in bulk and, uh, What's today? The Fe- February 3rd? Yes. 
so technically in bulk is like February 1st is mainly when it's celebrated, but uh, some people consider it the night going into February 2nd, that, that arc there, February 1st and 2nd. But I find this whole time of year, um, particularly like the week leading up to it and, you know, often the week after it to just be supercharged and it always has been. And one of the things I'm thankful for of becoming more conscious just this year of uh, in bulk and more what this part of our seasonal calendar represents is just to kind of give it a framework where it's like, oh yeah, man, that happened right around this time of year. And that happened. (laughs) It's like the year's PMS. Yeah. uh, (laughs) I would like, I mean, yeah, it's intense. And, uh, (laughs) you know, true to form this year has been no different. Like the week leading up to in bulk, holy crap, what a week. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm dealing with some stuff too, you know, like, uh, as Teresa was sharing, you know, it really came to a head for her. She had to take a walk. Her, uh, behavior was unusual, not typical of her usual daily behavior. Uh, it, there was no mistaking that something was going on, but, um, I'm feeling it too. I mean, definitely just, uh, weird feeling, you know, the way I usually handle this is this is when I get the most stir crazy where I just want to take off and like, you know, head to Florida, like we did one year and, you know, lo and behold, in bulk, like we find out when we're almost to Florida, Teresa's dad's died. And uh, then the year after that, on in bulk, February 2nd, my mom died. And uh, there's always some shit, some shit going on right around that time of year. It's an extremely challenging time of year. And I remember when your dad died, you know, the week after that, I guess that was what, February 4th? Mm-hmm. Yeah, a couple days after in bulk. Uh, that week, you know, of. Uh, being by myself, I just remember the weather, you know, and like, oh my God, like, you know, even aside from Teresa's dad passing, just me on my own uh, was really intense. So yeah, this whole season is rough. Yeah. But for um for that February 1st evening, we did, wasn't that the evening we, uh, we lit our candle? We had two candles that uh, some girls that we had taught made. And they called them herbal fire starters, which I thought was awesome. Um, instead of just a scented candle, it was like an herbal fire starter. Mm-hmm. And so we lit that. I actually lit it with a piece of bark from our bigger fire in the fireplace that was right behind it. And uh, that was really nice. And we had a meal that was kind of like suitable for a winter feast. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I just sometimes I just get wacky and recognize that uh it doesn't help anything and i wasted food gumby you wasted food i got so upset this morning about just nothing that i like took the piece of bread and the egg and the cheese and i just dumped it in the fire wow (laughs) that's not cool that's not okay and listeners you might be like oh big fucking deal but wasting food is something that this person right here, pointing at myself, I do not do. And uh, that's when I realized, like, I got to get out of here. There's something got a hold of me. And uh, I know it's not me. <laughs> I don't have a hold of myself. So I'm trying to, you know, trying to just uh, ride out the rest of the day here. It's been, you know. 
here we go talking about the weather, old man. Mm-hmm. It's been sunny, not as windy as uh, I thought it was going to be, so it's not that bad uh, of a day, but still windy enough that we're in the van right now doing the podcast. And um, what you got, Gumby? Well, this isn't where I was going to start, but since you started there, I wonder if uh, maybe we want to share the week leading up to Imbolc. I mean... <laughs> My, my, my problem with starting any kind of story is where do you start? There's always a backstory. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's kind of picking an arbitrary thing. But about a week before Imbolc, um, we got a visitor out here. And uh, I just heard uh, Sherlock barking. and Sherlock, our dog. Yeah. And his buddy Rufus, um, they were barking at something. And I came out, and damn if there wasn't a great big striped skunk. And I was like, oh, crap, you know, so I called Sherlock over and this skunk just comes meandering through our camp and uh, wandering around. And it's like this is like, I think, about my third close encounter with a skunk, like really close where they they visit. And, you know, it's given me a new insight into uh, Looney Tunes, Pepe Le Pew, because. <laughs> I thought I got it when I was a kid, you know, all right, he stinks. That's why everybody runs and hides. And he's like this French skunk that's really uh, amorous and, you know, that's his personality. But actually, that's a really good representation of the way a skunk can act because a skunk will just come wandering in completely unafraid and everybody's reacting to him. And the skunk, who knows what's really inside of a skunk's mind, but often a skunk will seem almost personable, almost friendly. Like, the, he doesn't understand why everybody's not being friendly back. Um, and that's the way this skunk was, just meandering around, making himself at home, almost playful at times, you know. At one point, he just, like, plops his four feet down, like, in the middle of the yard, like he's going to take a quick nap and then changes his mind. And who knows, you know, who knows if it's a rabid skunk? I mean, aside from the scent glands, it's a, a scary thing to be visited by a skunk. So... He, he sprayed, and I had to say he, I don't know, could have been she. Um, the skunk sprayed both dogs. So Sherlock has just been reeking. He got the worst of it. And uh, we've had that going on this week. So living in a van with an old dog who already stinks, who already like <laughs> has loud gas when he barks. Um, and now he's been sprayed by a skunk. And it's like, all right, how do we handle this? Um, people say, you know, use the tomato sauce and stuff, but I've never been that impressed with it. And, uh, I didn't really want to get in all that with the, I I don't know. We don't have a a hot shower and any of that stuff. It seemed more problematic than it was worth. So we've been trying to just kind of give them dips when we can and bodies of water as we pass them and ride this out. But then the weather turns really cold and really rainy. So once again, we're dealing with all of our usual stink of not being able to like, get out and air things out. You know, it's like we're tracking in mud. We're tracking in moisture. The van's like getting really smelly. Um, We're not bathing as often as we sometimes do because of the weather or, uh, you know, changing clothes or any of that stuff. It's all piling up. And we got this dog that's been sprayed by a skunk. So that was freaking awful. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, um, So needless to say... Yeah, the and the skunk, it's interesting because the only other encounter I've had was with a skunk that when we went for a walk, it crossed the road and started getting hopping, spitting mad at me and Gumby and our dog. And uh, 
you and Sherlock took off running and I had to like maneuver away from the skunk because it kept on coming after me. And, uh, I just, this one that came into the, the, the camp, our winter camp, it, it was not afraid of anything. At one point, Gumby, you were trying to keep it out of the dog tent because God knows what it could have done in there. Like mm-hmm. sprayed inside of a place that we go when it's like really bad weather. That would have sucked. So I said, put a chair down on its side. And this skunk just started. <laughs> well, first you had like a pine tree that you had cut a while ago for some project. And it started biting the pine tree as you were like trying to swoosh it away. And then when you put the chair down, it just started digging underneath where the chair was. I mean, it was, and then it would go away, circle back a a big circle, and then come back to the yard. Now, again, I don't know if this skunk had rabies, and I say had, because it eventually wandered into the, uh, the neighbor's yard there, and, um, Gumby, you had just said something about, like, well, most of the time people don't shoot a skunk because they know better. And then just at that moment, we heard, pow, 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 pow. And that was unfortunate for that skunk because as much as it was terrorizing our camp, and I don't know what it would have been like if it lived, that's a damn shame that that skunk had to die. Yeah, and the skunk was, like, being really, uh, again, I hesitate to say aggressive, but just unusual. It was coming up on the guy's steps. It was, like, going back and forth um, along the fence where he had stuck his dog, who was already, like, smelling like a skunk, um, and just would not go away. So, yeah, it's one of those, like, there's a lot of tough things about living out in the country. There's so many tough things about living out in the city that I definitely prefer being out in the country, but it's not without its uh, problems, you know, and that's one of them. Like, how do you handle that? How do you know for sure the skunk's rabid? Isn't it, wouldn't it be a tragedy if the skunk just happens to be like a little less afraid of people and his punishment for that is execution? Yeah. You know, I mean, that is really tragic, but at the same time, when you have a wild animal that's acting so unusual and, uh, you know, just won't wander off and leave you alone, what if it does have rabies? Rabies is the most dangerous virus to, at least to humans, um, on the planet. You know, it's nothing to mess around with. So, yeah, it was uh, kind of a big lesson for us, and we were kind of reflecting on that of, like, that visitor uh as sort of a harbinger of imbolc and all the things that represents. Yeah, because it's, I mean, it's easy to just say, oh, well, clearly the skunk was, you know, having some sort of issue, like maybe it did have rabies. But I'll tell you what, there's two things there. First of all, if it did have rabies, um, many people are led to believe that if an animal has rabies, it looks a certain way. Um if that skunk had rabies, I would, I don't know. And that's the point is it didn't look like it was foaming at the mouth. It wasn't like, you know, terrorizing looking. It just looked like it had, I don't know, like it had gotten confused. Maybe it was an old skunk. I don't know. And the other thing was what Gumby, you were about to probably say was like, 
well, maybe you weren't about to say it, but it, it's it's kind of interesting to reflect on why a skunk? Why this time of year? Because I guess their mating season isn't for like another like week or two. So maybe, you know, maybe they're, the den got flooded because of all the rain or maybe... I don't know, maybe he got woken up or he or she got, you know, hungry or something. Yeah, I didn't know when a skunk's mating season is, but if it's like a week or two away, I mean, I think you can kind of include that as like it's mating season. They don't have it down to that exact yeah. of a time period. It's not like it looks at its watch and like, ooh, I'm going <laughs> to go get me some skunk ass. doesn't look at its uh, Hooters calendar Nope. to see what, well, anyway. So I looked up like, what is the symbolism behind skunk? And I guess I didn't realize that skunks are really uh, a an America's thing, as well as I think there's like a, a Javanese island skunk relative. But they don't really have skunks over in uh, Europe. They have other things, but not skunks. Did you know that? I didn't know that. And any Europeans listening, oh, you don't know what you're missing. <laughs> and yeah, please write in if I'm wrong, because I, I was looking this stuff up and you know how the internet is. So... Um, what it returned for, like, the symbolism of the skunk is confident humility. What do you think about that? Confident humility. I don't know. I don't know what they base that on. I don't really see a skunk in those terms. Um, like I said, I, I don't see it as, like, a exceptionally humble creature. Um, and the confidence is... I don't know. It's got a peculiar quality to it. When I reflect on like a skunk and this time of year, I think more about like, uh, man, I don't know, like things being out of control, you know, like just a reminder of my own humility, partly. Chaos. Yeah. Maybe it's not so much that the skunk embodies confident humility. Maybe it's just like a symbol of that. So maybe it's time if a skunk crosses your past path to reflect on on your personality, do you have confident humility in your personality? Hmm. Yeah. Well, you got anything else to say about the old skunk? Well, there was one other aspect of the skunk that I thought was kind of appropriate for our in bulk messenger uh, celebration time. Yay, skunk! I wrote down that. Um, when the skunk sprays, it's an oil. It's not uh, It's not something that can easily be washed off with something like water, especially cold water, um, which is why our dog still stinks. And so the, the oiliness is kind of like a physical manifestation of this really strange energy uh, that kind of revolves around this time of year. Do you see where I'm going? So it was kind of like, oh, so if you don't get it more like uh, esoterically, like think about the skunk <laughs> spraying you and being like, oh, my God, this this like bad smell, this stuff just won't come off. And something that we did um, not because of the skunk, but uh, maybe right around in bulk, I can't remember, was we used a smudge and the uh, the red cedar smudge smoke it seemed like it gave the the sticky oils of this bad energy something to like grasp and then re like be released out the window um 
and away from us. Yeah, the day before Imbolc, we went into town, and what a day that was. Uh, we went into town to get the oil changed, went to uh, <laughs> Bojangles for breakfast, which was delightful as usual. Try explaining to the guy that's going to change your oil why your van smells like skunk ass. And I did try to explain that to him, and he uh, he had never smelled skunk. So he was asking me to, uh, well, what does it smell like? Well, why don't you <laughs> How get do you in? describe <laughs> a smell? Like, I hate questions like that. But uh, yeah, it ended up being a cold or any day. And man, like, more and more visits in the town are just really like uh, traumatic. Um, and so it was after we got back from town that we were just reflecting like, wow, there's like this negative energy that feels like it's sticking to us, almost like uh, the skunk's oil, you know? So we smudged the van and smudged ourselves, which helped somewhat. Yeah. Um, but it was really like, I don't know. Um, well, one hmm. of the things that happened when we were in town, I've been looking at old maps of this area that we stay in and... Uh, and I'm interested because there's just so many features of the land that you can kind of guess. But then when you see the map, you're like, oh, my God, that was a road that crossed what used to be a river and is now a lake. Or, oh, I could totally see where this area could have been a mill. But now, you know, the landscape has changed. But you can kind of get that feel of like, oh, this was a mill race or something. Um, so there's this... Uh, library downtown in downtown Durham, across from the homeless shelter. And it was recently, like, I think rebuilt from the ground up. So the library itself looks really new, although it's that weird kind of postmodern new. Gumby, you were remarking on the steps of the library, like the inside steps to go up to the third floor. And it was like the steps were these, it was like a weird dimension that didn't, it didn't feel like the steps worked. And, uh, so anyway, there's this, uh, collection called the North Carolina collection at that library. And I wanted to go and check out to see if there was anything, you know, any other maps or books or anything. And there really wasn't. I mean, it was kind of just the typical, well, did you look online? It's like, yes, I looked online. But while I was there, I, got to encounter a person who may have been a crazy homeless person. I don't know. Could have been somebody that was um, simply, you know, wandered into the library and and was uh, maybe had some mental illness of his own. Uh, Or it just could have been maybe a person that really doesn't know how to communicate because, like, he was from the younger generation and maybe is used to... uh, like sending texts or something and not replying to people face to face. And uh, I felt um, not because of that, but because of some other things, um, some behaviors that it's kind of like, I don't know, I classified it as too crazy. I needed to get out of there. He was kind of inserting himself into the conversation in a way that wasn't in a nice, friendly way. It was like a confrontational way. And uh, so I just thanked the librarians and got my shit and left the library because that dude, it felt like... What was it he said when he was walking up to the table that you guys were at where the librarian was showing you the map? Yeah, the librarian had pulled out this big 
big envelope. It was like the size of the inside of our van, like the back of the van. It was huge. And it had these um, plans and schematics and different maps of the area. And none of it was really helpful. But the guy, um, he had already had trouble communicating why he was there in the North Carolina collection. Like when someone asks you like, well, what are you interested in? Or like, you know, can I help you with something? He was just saying some weird shit. Like what? Like, uh, just kind of, I don't know, gobbledygook. Like, uh, know what I'm saying? I'm like, I'm, I'm trying to find out about some things that are like, like deeper than, than maybe what you got in the collection, but it wasn't even that cohesive, coherent, um, or cohesive. And so the librarian's like, okay, can I, um, are you talking about like maybe when the native Americans lived here? Like, are you talking about before it was Durham? And, and he was kind of getting into that a little bit. And so when she pulled out the map, I was like, oh, this is, you know, this is somewhat helpful. I was taking pictures and, and the guy came over and he was like, see, why are y'all looking at me like this? Why are you looking at me? Like I did something wrong. And we weren't looking at him. We were actually looking at the maps and, uh, I just kind of ignored that thinking like, hopefully, um, he'll like settle down. <laughs> I don't know. And then he started saying something weird about, um, how the maps weren't really like representative of, I don't know. It just, it didn't make any sense. That's the thing. And so I tried to like, you know, I tried to discuss like, oh, do you mean like, because it's on paper that, you know, it's not showing all the features as if you were to to walk on the land itself. Because I can tell you walking on the land itself is is a lot better. You know, it's a lot more real. And he's like, no, no. See, you're not telling me something. And it's like, oh, okay. This is, this might be, might be a crazy person. So, um, then he wanted to look at the maps. So, uh, the librarians just like left them out on the table because she was about to put them away. And he's like, Hey, why, why can't I look at them? Why can't I look at them? It's like, well, we didn't even know you were interested. You just kind of came over here and started acting weird. Um, so yeah, when we got back to the country, I was just like, man, this is, this world is falling apart. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that guy, it sounds like he had an extra touch of something, um, but you know, when you say like he walked up and he's like, why y'all look at me like that? Yeah. Um, I got this, this phrase I use that I think I coined it. I think I invented this one and I call it fat girl syndrome and I call it fat girl syndrome. Cause the first time I really wrapped my mind around, uh, this thing I'm about to describe, it was an article written by a, um, an overweight woman and she was describing how she would walk in and people would stare at her and uh, the treatment that she would receive, the unwelcome judgmental attention. And at the time I read that, I was really having um, intense social anxiety. And so I felt the same way. I felt like I'd walk in and like all eyes would like they'd just spot me right away and know like I didn't belong there. Like I was uh, mentally unstable or something. It just felt like... Um, Everywhere I went, if there was somebody around, like the spotlight was just on me. I couldn't hide. I couldn't be in the background. So 
as she's describing this experience, the question arises in my mind, like, it's so um, subjective, you know, like, how do you know people aren't also looking at the next person who walks in? Are you really doing that close of a study to uh, really measure all these things? Do you, and if they do look at you, are you really so sure of what they're thinking? <laughs> you know, maybe someone looks at you because, like, they used to be fat, you know, and they, they're reflecting on something. Maybe you remind them of someone. You know, we can't know what's in people's heads. So... Anytime, like, I see this happen in the uh, the black community quite a bit, you know, like, um, Teresa had an experience a few years ago now where she's walking into the library. And what was it that guy said? Well, I was walking out of the library to the van, and I had a choice of going to the right and then having to um, take a distance of walking to get to the van. Or I could go, like, um, from where I was at, at a diagonal, like a straight I don't know how to describe it because this is a podcast, but it's just like connecting two dots. Like I just go from where I was standing straight to the van instead of taking the sidewalk. And this black guy thought I didn't take the sidewalk because of him. Yeah. So that's the fat girl syndrome. You know, like you judge everything through the filter of what you expect to see. So the fat girl who expects to be judged will indeed find that, you know, and and if you expect to... uh, be surrounded by racism, you will pick out every behavior, and some of it might indeed be racist-based. Some of it may be justified. Maybe somebody just got mugged by a black person, and they're a little extra cautious, the way a black person who just got had a crime done to them by some uh, indigent, homeless white person might be a little extra cautious around a shabby-dressed white person after that, at least for a while. You know, it, it gets painted with this big broad brushstroke. And so I try to be mindful of that. And I see that a lot. I see so many articles, so many things that are written from what I call the fat girl syndrome. Um, just an assumption about what people are thinking. Even reading Ibram X. Kendi, oh, you know, how to be an anti-racist. Um, he talks right in the beginning about uh, his basketball team. His dad comes to um, share some news with him, and the white people look at him. His dad's like coming up onto the basketball court as they're practicing, like, hey, hey! And he's even by Ibram's uh, description, he's being really loud. And like uh, waving his arms. Waving his arms. And he was the, excited. The, the other people look. Yeah. Ibram takes this as their judgmental white eyes. I quote. <laughs> Who the fuck wouldn't turn and look at somebody waving their arms around being really loud? But Ibram already is looking for racism. So these aren't just people who, like, are looking at the loud, moving thing. Yeah. You know, these are people who are judging, and not just people, white people. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I wonder if that guy was, like, among anything else was going on with him, was just kind of looking for that. He was, like, walking around. Uh, looking to encounter racism. Yeah, and are people doing this now? Because I I would like to know if this is some sort of like activist movement thing that I should be aware of because it freaked me out. And um, and not to mention that you know I had not ever set foot in this library, but I could tell you that the place where I was at only had one entrance and one exit that I could tell. So, um, this dude was acting crazy and it didn't look like there was, uh, anything that was like calming him down. So I just got my shit and got the fuck up out of there because you can't, you can't just think 
the best of someone when there are so many people who are mentally ill out there. If I had acted like I acted this morning with breakfast in public, I would expect the same from the people that observed that. So that's all I got to say about that. That that guy, if he was um, wanting people to not look at him funny or not think he was crazy, he needs to tone that shit down. Yeah. So don't be the fat girl or the black guy or the bald guy or the, you know, whatever. Um, keep in mind that, like, you are, everything you're observing is coming through a filter of your subjective experience. Some of it may be based on, you know, valid observations. Some of those valid observations are warped because you don't know what's in people's heads. And even if you do get a sense of what's in their head, you don't know their experiences. You don't know what they're dealing with. You know, that, that I just beware of the fat girl syndrome. Um, and another thing that happened this week leading up to Imbolc was uh, I had this gig that started last autumn. Um, working with a homeschool group and man, <laughs> oh my goodness, the, uh, homeschool community. I, I, I should, I don't want to even like pick out the homeschool community because it could be just everybody now, but it, it turns <laughs> out the only kids I'm working with for the past couple of years are homeschoolers, but holy crap, what a fucking mess. Um, I'm not trying to teach anymore. I, uh, I don't know. I kind of lost my faith in teaching because what I've discovered about the things that really matter, that I really have found are valuable to learn, you're not going to teach them in a three-hour class. You're just not. So much of that is someone choosing to learn. So basically, what people seek me out for now is that their kids enjoy the experience, which has validity. You know, I mean, if that's what it is, but it's not teaching. You know, I had uh, parents tell me they want me to teach their kids survival skills. Like this was uh, a couple years ago and like the lockdown and all this stuff was really at its peak. And it was like, oh, I don't know what's going to happen next. We might all have to like rush into the woods and flee the fascist and all this stuff. <laughs> and I'm like, man, I'm not going to be able to teach kids this stuff. You know, it's so I had a group of parents that wanted to um, continue the group I had last season Um, and they just couldn't pull it together. They could not come to any kind of agreement. Like every time they'd ask, what do you want? You know, something like that. I'd be like, well, no more than like, let's say eight kids. I think that's what I was saying at the time. Um, I could do it for, you know, with four kids, that would be enough of a payment to make it worth it for me to make the trip out there and everything. Um, it just seemed really simple, but more and more my interactions with people are like, you can't make it simple enough. I don't know what's going on with people. Yeah. And truth be told, if I'm really honest and uh, reflect deeply, more deeply, I don't know what's going on with me. I don't know how much, you know, I'm involved in this chaos, but I do know what I'm interacting with more and more doesn't make fucking sense. People cannot seem to pull their shit together. It's like they're completely overwhelmed and they're allowing it in. You know, we've talked about like the vampire you have to invite him into your home before he can hurt you. People are inviting more and more and more of this garbage in, and they are frazzled. They can't put two thoughts together. They can't organize things. They can't make simple things happen. Um, so I got another job offer after this group kind of fell apart and nothing happened. And uh, it was with this organization. And um, when we started working with them, 
I'd say, I think five classes we taught before they took a winter break. Um, it was a dream. It was just like everything, you know, we were told like, oh, you guys are the experts. I have complete confidence in you. You do whatever you want out there. Here's indoor spaces if you want to use them. Um, just, it was like, and it was closer to us. And I was telling Teresa, I said, we better enjoy this because you can bet your ass, you know, anything that seems too good to be true, this ain't going to last. <laughs> So, yeah. yeah, we had a few really great weeks, took the winter break, and man, just as soon as we come back, I don't know what happened, the whole tone had changed. It was just uh, every agreement we'd made, like every interaction I'd have with the the person running this was just, uh, how would I say, they weren't honoring our agreements. And every time I'd try to call them out on it, like, look, you said this. This is now not the case. I can just spell it right out for you. You said this. This did not, in fact, happen. They would turn it around on me and say, well, I thought you wanted smaller groups. Uh, yeah, that's why we agreed on a cap of 10, not four kids. That doesn't make any sense. Things like that and just every exchange. And there was never a, uh, you know, a like an acknowledgement of like, you're right. You're right. You, uh, We had an agreement. You have not broken your agreement. You are doing exactly what you said you would on when you say you would do it. I have not. Any kind of apology was like a, bri- a big brush stroke that was more of the tone of like, I'm sorry if my quirky genius and the way I do things, which is really good, the, the really good way I'm doing things, uh, confuses people. I'm, I'm sorry you're feeling confused. It was that kind of thing. <laughs> not like, I'm sorry I told you something and didn't do it and failed to do it. Yeah. So that came to a head right before him bulk, and it was just finally, like, even the, the the final email exchange, like, the message in the beginning, this is, like, three short paragraphs. The first paragraph was something to the effect of, like, I think we could talk, we should talk in person because we could work stuff out, and uh, it turns out that, um, yeah, there were some concerns I had with uh, your class, and, uh, oh, actually, I think it's just the healthier thing is just to dissolve this. Even in the space of one email, it's like, here's how I want to work it out, and it can't be worked out. It's like, I don't know what kind of crazy shit is happening out there, but it's getting really hard to coordinate with anybody, so I'm just kind of trying to ride it. One thing I was telling Teresa is, like, we got to really, like, uh, pull our energy back, you know? Like, keep it in perspective. Um, We are just looking for gigs, for opportunities to make a little extra money. Um, We can share things that the kids enjoy, and hopefully it could inspire them to then go seek out on their own and develop some skills that could really change their lives. But it's a really small thing we're doing, and right now, we're not broke yet. If I get broke, if I get hungry, if uh, I really need to make money, um, I might have to bend on my ethics. You know, I might have to decide, uh, do I just need to put up with somebody who uh, will not honor their agreements, who is not being honest, who is being deceitful, who is whatever, Um, you know, you gotta, you gotta roll with the punches. But as for right now, I say when you can, um, stick to your guns and stick to your ethics, Mm -hmm. stick to your ethics. Yeah. Yeah. Even now I feel like my mind is so scattered. Like, let's see, 
we're a half hour in and I'm ready to cut to a break at any time you want to. I, I say make this a short episode. I'm like uh, this whole in bulk kind of feeling in the air. I'm like, man, <laughs> I don't I don't even feel like I got a whole lot to say. It's just riding this out. Yeah, I'll just say um, I'll just say this to to wrap this segment up. I remember when we were doing the episode on Phoenicia Medrano, um, who has passed on now, but was uh, really one of the few people out there that was teaching like how to um, how to live on the hoop, like the sacred hoop, as Phoenicia called it. And something that uh, Phoenicia said, Phoenicia was born a man and had a sex mimicry surgery to become uh, a woman, but that's, you know, uh, confusing. So Phoenicia said, like, I can't really teach you the things out away from the hoop. Like, to learn, you need to be on the hoop, like, with me. And that's just how I'm feeling about these experiences and skills that you and I have, Gumby, it's really difficult to go somewhere else where we don't have a connection with the land. We don't know what the land has to offer. And aside from, you know, maybe staying there and walking one day and staying there overnight, I don't know how to get a a good connection with another place. So the things that I'm doing, I just don't, I don't get how I'm supposed to share them. Maybe some other people do can do that, but I just I just don't I don't have that yet. Yeah, and it, it's really tough because you're you're uh, exploring all these profound skills that come with these profound sacred lessons, and um, all you can do is try to share some kind of little snippet with a group of kids in just a space of a couple of hours when they're like just their cup runneth over with all the the other yeah. crap they're full of. Yeah. Like it would take a day just to get the kids to make a little space in their minds to receive something new. And uh, yeah, the whole time I'm teaching, I'm like, this is not what the kids need. They do not need another class for God's sakes. These overscheduled poor kids. I mean, it's just busy, busy, busy. And then it's like, hey, I know what we'll do. Let's give them a class on how not to be busy. <laughs> a class on how to be out in the woods. That's yeah. what they need. Yeah. And it's just, ah, oh man, what have we done? What have we done to this whole culture? It, it's it's maddening. I will say this, though. I do have an idea that uh, next time I get a chance to work with kids, I'm hoping I get to do this because I'm thinking, what is something that at least could maybe uh, carry some kind of a, of a deeper lesson? Not just like, here's how you start a fire, but a deeper lesson. And I was thinking... Man, what if we had a class where we went and found a pine tree, like a, a small one, maybe a little taller than me, and we really emphasized, when if we take this tree, we will change the future. You know, this tree is connected to everything else. Things won't be the same. This land will not be the same by taking this tree. Because if we left this tree alone, there's a good chance that this tree could be a part of this landscape that would far outlive us. Could be a couple of hundred years old. It's a very important thing when we take this tree and to really ask the tree, to really try to emphasize, this is a special thing when we take something. And then to take a pine tree and just the way, you know, you hear about like uh, the native tribes, how they would um, take an animal, a buffalo, for instance, and use every part 
you can do the same thing with a tree. And I've only recently become aware of how very much that is true. Because we've been learning so much about pine trees. I would love to do this with kids, to, to harvest a pine tree, to take the pine tree, to use the inner bark, uh, to cook some of it with butter, which is better than you might think. Um, dry some of it out, maybe make some flour, um, to use the pine needles to make vinegar and, and pine salt and tea to drink and dry some out to make a coil basket, um, to take the wood. And now that it's been debarked and can season a little bit to make bowls, to make cups, I mean, really to base an entire class or series of classes on the taking of one tree mm-hmm. and to, hopefully find a way to find the right words, the right way to express the message like all things are like this. All things are so brimming with abundance and gifts. If one pine tree can offer us this much, look how many pine trees there are around. What other gifts does another tree, another plant, an animal, the soil itself? And the only thing that keeps us from tapping into that It's just our lack of ability, our lack of knowledge, our lack of connection. That would be something next time I have a chance that I really want to try to convey in some small way. But like I said, you're you're, you're coming in hobbled because Mm -hmm. a couple hours, once a week, and then they're shuffled off to the next thing that's just blah, 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 blah. You know, I mean, it's ah, nature deserves more. And that's another thing I get frustrated with is, uh, you know, we get sought out. Um, which is nice. It's nice to like be appreciated and it's nice that like the kids like us. It's nice that the parents appreciate whatever we're doing that the kids like, but it's also frustrating because I feel like the kids, the parents, nobody really understands what this is, this connection to nature, because I can tell because they always treat it like an extracurricular activity. Mm-hmm. Um, that was another problem I was running into with this place that we just parted ways with is, uh, this teacher, um, was not was having problems with the behavior of the people in the class. And I don't know what she meant, but she said the kids were acting entitled about our class. I don't know what that meant. But as partly as a punishment, she suggested just canceling the classes for the week. No, she yeah. didn't suggest it. She, she did cancel them. Well, no, to be fair, she uh, proposed oh. doing that. But, you know, it was like a <laughs> worded in that way where this is probably going to happen. And that was one of the final things. It's like, whoa, you just told me that we've got indoor spaces and all this stuff. And, you know, we're the experts. I told you not to call me an expert, but you called me an expert continually. It's like effusive, just like you guys. Oh, you're so great. And then it's like, yeah, I'm just going to cancel the classes. Like, whoa, wait a minute. Something's changed. At least acknowledge something's changed. Because if you can't do what you said, let's talk about that. What's changed? Let us in so we can decide what's best for us. That never happened, so the communication broke down. But even that, it was like our nature class was sort of this thing that's like a treat, an extracurricular activity. And if you don't do the real work, the important stuff, Hmm. the important work, then you don't get that. Bullshit. It's just people don't understand. That should be the primary thing kids are learning. Ancestral skills. Fuck your math, fuck your science, fuck your little spelling bees or whatever bullshit you got going on. Those should be the extracurricular activities. We've got a whole, well, several generations deep of people who don't know how to fucking live on their own planet, who don't have the survival 
abilities of a fucking house fly. Mm-hmm. And they're taking so much pride in calculus and uh, learning how to code on computers. It's so frustrating. Yeah. It is so frustrating. I would like to just encounter an opportunity, a group of people that actually understood the importance of ancestral skills and a yeah. connection to nature and made that the primary thing. Yeah. It's the difference between are you a person that knows how to do one step in the process or are you a person that knows how to like that actually has a skill? Yeah. And where's it going to come from? You know, like the parents don't know it. Their parents probably didn't know it because that's how they didn't know it. You know, it's like, where is it going to come from? Where's this recognition of what our connection to nature actually is? People think a connection to nature is just like uh, a pretty postcard, um, a place to jog. Um, (sighs) And you see what happens. It's, I mean, it even seeps into my life, into my messed up mind when that uh, lack of gratitude, when you don't have gratitude, boy, you are in a bad place. Attitude of gratitude. And yeah, like I said, I'm feeling kind of just wiped and dealing with my own negative mindset because of that, uh, hard week leading up to this time of year, the time of year itself. And, uh, You know, this cold, wet weather, skunky dog. You know, sometimes we talk about how romantic this life is, and sometimes it is, and sometimes you just feel like a nasty homeless person, and that's the way it's felt this week. Like, we're just stinky. Uh, I feel like a plague rat. No. I feel like a a dirty, nasty, homeless person. Well, turn around and look at the blue jay so I can shut this off and take a break, all right? Mm Mm-hmm. Hi. My name's Gumby. And I'm Teresa. We like to laugh and have fun here at Escaping Society, but right now, we'd like to take a moment to talk about something a little more serious. Do you know a dog who was born without thumbs? Sure, we all do. Every day, thousands of dogs without thumbs are forced into lives of dependency, deprived of the ability to hitchhike, to turn doorknobs, thumb wrestling, or to give high fives. They can only give high fours. In our own lives, we have one of these special needs dogs. Over the past 12 years, I have seen the frustration in my dog's eyes when he wants to approve of something, but cannot give me a thumbs up. We like to think of him not as thumbicapped, but as toe-capable. For a small donation, we, as healthcare providers for our own thumbless best friend, can continue to provide services such as door opening, feeding, and the occasional toileting assistance. For a larger donation, we may even be able to buy him new thumbs. We don't know. So please, reach deep down in your pockets and your hearts and send us a donation today. Try doing it without thumbs. With record numbers of people flocking to the outdoors, we've enlisted seasoned outdoorsmen, experienced a hunter, and all-around grubby hillbilly Sam Deerlick Eris to help educate us. Welcome, Mr. Eris. Well, just call me Junior. Now, when you go camping, the goal is to make your campsite look as much, just as much like your own backyard as possible, and to do that, you'll need lots of stuff, a couple pickupfuls at least. 
The goal is to still feel like you're home inside, but have just changed the view through your window. As a gesture of neighborliness, I like to immediately play some kind of music that everybody can appreciate as loud as possible. You know, something like Alabama or Reba McIntyre, stuff that goes good with Budweiser and neglected teeth. If your cousin and them are laid off and can bring another truck, hell, load up a couple of motorbikes. Hiking takes forever and gets your creases greasy, but a good bike will punch a hole right through that forest like buckshot through butter. And who doesn't love the ear-splitting roar of an engine? Expert tip, it also drowns out scary nature noises so the young'un can sleep better. Hmm. Well, th- thanks for that, Junior. Uh, since you brought up the nature, I wonder if you'd be aware to share some tips on how to interact with the nature a safery. <laughs> tips? Hell, I'll give you the whole thing. Let's start with trees. We ain't talking domesticated ornamental little yard shrubs now. Forest trees are big, wild, and dangerous. They will fall on you, try and poke your eyes out, and they will kill you if you let them. You got to establish your dominance at least by the first couple of days or they will not respect you. Right off, I pick out the biggest one and throw things at it, show I ain't scared. Knives, a hatchet, hell, shooting at it works too. I'll also, and now this is life experience talking now, hell, I'll also pick out the biggest one I can handle and cut it down, preferably at night so the chainsaw sounds will be heard further by other trees. You are very interesting. Uh, that provides firewood as well? I'm glad you brought that up. There's a lot of myths out there about camping, and here's one I hear all the time. Wood burns. Bullshit. You ever try to hold a lighter to a log? <laughs> Bubba, you'll be cold for a long time. But here's something cool. You know all that stuff you brought? Well, it turns into trash, and lots of it. What to do with it? I see people t- take all day bagging it and putting that nasty stuff right back in their trucks, like they're going to take it home and frame it or something. The professional woodsman knows that trash burns especially plastic. I spent many a night warmed by a trash fire, and to this day, the incense of a melting weenie bag takes me right back to the woods. As a courtesy, I like to leave a pile of trash in the fire pit to give less experienced campers a head start after I'm gone. Glass bottles are harder to burn, but your youngin' can have lots of fun playing bust the bottle. Throw some screws and nails out there, too, to keep bears away. Bears don't wear shoes. It's why it's called barefoot. You don't learn that in school, son. Indeed. Well, Junior, our time is nearly up. Are there any final words to share to help the public enjoy a fun and safe nature outing? Well, to be blunt, shit happens. All that beer and greasy food is going to lube your pipes, and in the woods we have saying, never trust a fart. I know, I know, competitive farting games around the campfire are an old favorite, and it's all fun till somebody shits themselves, and somebody will. You're going to need running water, and once again, nature provides. If you're young and flexible, shit right in the creek. It's nature's turlet. If you're older, get as close as you can. You can throw turlet paper, feminine products, crusty undies, shit, even auto parts and batteries right in. No harm done. Sometimes we have boat races with our shitty draws. It all goes back to God. Now don't be one of those damn fools that kills themselves walking into the woods and buries their shit like a cat. When you wipe, you want to wrap your hand in toilet paper till it's about honeydew size, then leave it around camp. That keeps away critters like snakes who hate the smell of shit. You ever see a snake eating shit? Me neither. You're welcome. Oh, thank you so much for all of your deep woods wisdom, Junior. I hope everyone's learned something. Until next time, please camp responsibly, stay safe, and leave some of white trash for the next nature enthusiast. I would like to tell you that 
you should quit your job and move into a minivan and live outside somewhere. But today is not that day. (laughs) Mamas don't let your babies grow up to be hobos. Oh, my God. All right. Now, Gumby, you said numbers don't mean everything. This morning it was 21 degrees Fahrenheit. And I know that doesn't seem like it's that cold, but for some reason today is one of the coldest days I've experienced in a long time. How about you? Yeah, man, it's getting to me. It's getting to both of us. It is not a fun day to be outside. It's bright and sunny, you know, it's kind of cheerful looking. And the sun, when you can, (laughs) to the aspect of it that you can tune into, is pleasant. But man, it's just the, like that final grip of winter where it's starting to slip away, but it doesn't want, want to let go, so it squeezes harder. Mm. That's what it feels like today. Yeah, it's it's squeezing me to the point of quitting. I do immediately see signs of spring since uh, yeah. in bulk, though. Like I heard a new frog. I can't remember what that frog is, but it it's got more of a snorry sound, a snoring sound than like the chorus frogs. Um, daffodils are, of course, are starting to pop up, which is like one of the first signs always. And, uh, we even see a tree out here, which I think is something in the Rose family. I'm not sure what that tree is. I haven't looked close, but, uh, starting to leaf out. So signs of spring are abounding, even as we're freezing our asses off and miserable today. Yeah. If you live or have lived in a cold climate where you were outside wearing boots that are like waterproof but they're not they just first of all they're not waterproof and they don't keep your feet warm what do you do i mean i've worn two pair of socks um gumby and i have we've tried like when it's snowed or something to put bread bags over our socks and in our shoes but that doesn't keep your feet warm i've found so uh listeners help me out yeah, that's a tough one. I've been in some cold places like on a lynx tracking expedition in Maine and stuff like that. And I have never seen a formula that actually keeps your feet like really warm. There are things that work better than others, but, you know, I've had the double layered thick wool socks inside of like winter boots that like everybody's wearing in Montana, like people who live there. <laughs> and uh, my feet still got cold. Yeah. So, yeah. And, uh, Man, yeah, we were talking yesterday about uh, kind of the darkness we're going through, both the events in our lives right now and also uh, just, like, the internal. Um, So usually we do, like, our second half on the same day, a little bit later that day. We were in such just kind of a funk and uncreative place, uh, not really having anything to talk about, that we decided to wait till today, which we usually... This is our, like, buffer day because the podcast comes out tomorrow. So today is sort of like if something goes really wrong, like we're <laughs> like, oh, we can't we can't release that. We have got to do something else. We've got a little leeway. So we're using our buffer day right now for the second half. And, uh, yeah, man, we're in no better of a mind space today. So sorry, listeners, this episode's going to suck. Yeah, I, I will say this. Um, recently... As recently as the past week, I uh, I shaved the outer bark off of two small pine trees, like maybe an inch or less in diameter that Gumby had cut down for a project. And these are like, you know, 
baby trees that we're not trying to waste the stuff, waste any of the needles or anything that we can. So I had read this article about inner bark and who, uh, did you know you could eat a pine tree? (laughs) What the hell was he talking? Like, where was that in reference to? I think it was some kind of commercial, like for uh, a cereal or something. I'd have we'd have to look it up. I, I've seen it, but I can't remember it at the was moment. Yule Gibbons. It was Yule Gibbons doing a commercial, and like he was, that was his little shtick. Did you know you could eat a pine tree? Yeah. And uh, yeah, he's referring to some of the stuff you're talking about, like inner bark and yeah. pine needles and, and I, stuff. And I knew that, but I had never really had a good experience with it. And we watched like I think all the seasons of Alone thus far, and some people have tried to eat. Pine cambium, the inner bark. Is it cambium or phloem? I call it cambium, but I'm not. I, I'm not certain I'm using the right term. And yeah, that one dude I think of that really like that's all he had to eat for a while got like uh, massively constipated. Yeah, they had to like ship him out because it was just stomach cramps. He hadn't shit in like I I want to say a month. I'm not sure about that, but it was a long time, and it was uh, concerning him. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, when you were like, hey, let's eat cambium pine bark. <laughs> let's take it easy and slow. So, um, yeah, we really have taken it easy and slow because after the the day after I um, peeled it off of the trees, I'd let it kind of dry a little bit. And it was, <clears throat> excuse me, is still like very stringy and damp, but uh, but slightly drier. And I just put some butter in a pan and threw them in. And boy, they quick they cook fast. They quick fast. And the texture was surprisingly delightful. Yeah, it was like really thin and crispy. And because it was almost kind of like bacon. Yeah, if you were really hungry. I'm still not sure about the flavor because what really came through was the butter. Mm -hmm. But the texture was the big surprise for me. Like, oh, yeah, this is actually a lot more fun to eat. I was kind of thinking of like chewy wood. Yeah. But no, wasn't like that at all. Yeah, so I've got now a a bag, a net bag of uh, inner bark, and it's pretty dry. It was like super windy yesterday and and somewhat sunny, so it got pretty dried out. And I'm going to try again with the pan and the butter. We also found some uh, slate shingles in the woods. A whole big stack of them. (laughs) Like, how, how big would you say that is? They're about squared, right? Uh... Well, Slightly rectangular. Yeah, they're rectangular, and I would say, like, how many there are, maybe maybe as many as 50 to 100. Yeah, but I was m- more referring to, like, the size. Would yeah. you say that's two foot by foot and a half, something like that, just a guess? Two foot by one foot, maybe, yeah. Yeah, a perfectly beautiful, thin uh, slab right. of... Uh, what? Slate. Slate, and it has two perfectly drilled holes in it, so you could hang it to shingles. I mean, it's such a find. We haven't really found like a great thing to do with it yet but it must have been some uh, really wealthy person that was going to do something really fancy and bought all that and then it's, it's just sitting out there in the woods getting covered up by leaves now yeah no houses around or anything so so yeah i um i have two of those and supposedly you can cook on them um i was yeah i wasn't even sure what i was going to do but i might try to cook the pine bark on them Mm-hmm. To like toast them dry. And I was also going to um, grind up some to make a flour and see how that works. Yeah, I bet those things would make an awesome fry rock for anything that you would fry on. And if, you know, there's so many that it would be a really good basis for a uh, oven, make an orno. Yeah. So, oh. wow, the uses of this thing. I mean, just huge find. Having some homemade 
baked bread right now, regardless if it had pine tree in it or not, oh man, that would be that would brighten my day. <laughs> oh man. Homemade bread would brighten anybody's day. We uh Teresa and I were laying in the van, letting it warm up this morning and uh talking about our negative mindsets, you know, like um I remember some of the things we were discussing is how it actually feels like a demon whispering things in your ear. It feels like something that's not what you usually uh, relate to as what you call you. These ideas that are just really subtle, insidiously subtle, and whispering in the background. Um, Because I know for me, that's what it feels like often um, when I'm in that mood. And yeah, it's just things to the, the little things to be afraid of, the little things to hate. Mm-hmm. The little ideas of how to address them, of how to get back at people, and, you know, it's stuff like that. And it's like, it's scary when you tune into them. It's scarier when you're tuned out of them, and they're just like, you're mistaken these thoughts for, like, just good ideas. Um, I was telling Teresa, one thing I've learned when I get in that mood is to shut up. Well, I mean, <laughs> that's not exactly true, but I would actually be a whole lot worse if I didn't know what I did know. So You're just trying it, to get me to shut up. Well, I think it's, <laughs> I, I mean, seriously, I think it's good for everybody to shut up. I think it, the world would improve if everybody just shut up and that alone would make a marked difference in improving the world. We all think we have something to say and we're talking more than we're thinking, myself included. So... My first response to feeling those demons whisper these horrible ideas and these fears and these angers into me is, all right, try to start cutting back on communication because that is such a bad time to make a knee-jerk, impulsive uh, action or, or say something. And the times in my life when I look back and I'm like, oh, my God, what was I thinking? Or I have the biggest regrets. I can trace it back to exactly that happening. Those demons were whispering, and I reacted instead of just shutting up. So, yeah, that uh, is. I'm I'm sitting here listening, and that's why I'm I'm yeah. No, listening's good. <laughs> um, Something else that you said this morning that really, uh, it was difficult to hear, but you know I've said it before. Like those are the things that you really, really need to pay attention to and sit with. There were a couple things. One of them was uh, if you find that you're grateful only in the good times, are you really a person who has gratitude? Or is it just like a fair weather gratitude? Yeah, when we're like in it's summertime, we're on a mountaintop and the clean water's just rushing by and we're laying on some soft grass with the sun shining on us. I mean, it's easy to talk about gratitude then. It's really when you get tested. You know, if you're a Christian, when you get tested for how forgiving are you, how much faith do you have, whatever your walk is, it's really when things are not in the favor of holding that ideology that you really discover if you have that ideology or if you've just been pretending. You can have a superficial ideology, but a deep, strong core. And so I feel like that's part of like what this is for us is, uh, you know, we've, yeah, it's a challenge. You know, I like what Don Juan says. I know I've, I've shared this many times, but where he says a, uh, the difference between an ordinary man and a warrior is an ordinary man, an an ordinary man (laughs) sees everything as a blessing or a curse. Mm. while a warrior sees everything as a challenge. 
And I think that's it. You know, like we're being challenged. And as we've discovered so many times in so many ways, one of the most, if not the most important things in this life, we both believe, is gratitude, appreciation, just to be grateful. That is powerful in itself. Um, and yeah, it's hard now. It's really hard when the the weather's this way and, uh, you know, your life isn't going the way you want it to. Like recent events have just kind of shaken you in one way or the other. And this time of year has always been like that as we, uh, as we've discussed. Yeah. And it's um, my dad's death date today. Yeah. Dad's death date today. My mom's two days ago. Uh, hard time, man. I was... You know, I mentioned my half-brother and how he wants to go to Mars and I think, the last episode. And uh, one of the things I was reflecting on with him is, what is it that bothers me so much about particularly a, a person who really presents themselves as, like, a Christian? You know, that's part of their identity. They, they really broadcast themselves as a Christian. Who wants to go to Mars? There's something about that that bothers me. And uh, I was reflecting the other day of the Garden of Eden— and I love, love, love that story, as well as so many other ancient stories, ones in the Bible and other ones, you know, from different cultures. Um, there's so much there if you revisit them at different times. And so thinking back on that Garden of Eden story, the original sin, I was thinking, what is the original sin? I think most people superficially, if they think about like, oh, they got kicked out of the Garden of Eden, why? Disobedience. God told them to do something. They didn't listen. So they're punished. So the original sin was a disobedience. More and more, I don't think I ever really liked that answer. And uh, now I just really don't buy that at all. I think what the original sin was, what compelled Eve to take the apple from this forbidden tree, the tree of knowledge, and then to share it with Adam, who then consented to eat it himself. I think it was discontent. It was ingratitude. I think that is a story. That was the fundamental sickness. That is a story about where we come from, our lineage, and what the big threat is. Mm -hmm. And that's the original sin, not of humankind, but of our culture, I think. Ingratitude. That's why we toil by the sweat of our brow. <laughs> you know, not every other culture out there. So... That's it. Like, why would you want to go to Mars if you have gratitude? Is this not good enough? Why would you buy an Oculus? You know, we've got sunsets. We've got the best of all possible worlds that we're aware of right here. We're already in heaven. It's right here. So if we don't have that gratitude, we're just reenacting the original sin instead of trying to make amends for it. Yeah. And as, you know, as much as I don't want to admit it, because who wants to admit? It's like, I'm not sinning. I'm not being ungrateful, but I kind of am. And it's, it's, it's really all in how, like how deeply invested you are in being grateful and expressing gratitude and, and reverence. And when you're shown that uh, what you thought you were fully in is is not so, that, that hurts. Yeah, I reflected back on my dad. Uh, I've shared a lot about him, and I did not get along with my dad. But he did say a couple of things over the years that I thought were wise and uh, good advice. 
And one of the things he said, I'm paraphrasing here. I'm, I'm kind of this is my interpretation of what he said because I can't remember exactly what he said. He said something to the effect of, of if you're ever depressed or feeling down, help someone. And I interpret that to mean like, why would that equate to the other helping someone to you feeling down? I think it's because when we're in a really bad place, we're in our most selfish place. We are self-absorbed, and we're starting to get stuck more and more in illusion. That's the fundamental misperception in Buddhism, why we suffer. The whole, the dukkha, the the problem, the, the original sin is a misunderstanding of what we are, a misperception of self. And so when we start getting really self-absorbed, the self-pity, the poor pitiful me, the why aren't things going right for me, the oh, I the, can't do anything right. The, the one this morning that you called me on when I said, I need a win. Yeah. I could really use a win. Yeah, the coffee. Once again, like we cannot get the coffee right with our, our way of doing it right now. It just sucked, like whole new levels of sucking. <laughs> and so know. Teresa was like, yeah, I really need a win. Like I need something to go right. And I was telling her, like, man, I'm the coffee lover. <laughs> we need a win. Like, you know, the, the the more we get in that negative mindset, the more we'll start using language like that, of really self-involved language. And I think that's why my dad was saying, help somebody else. Um, because that takes you out of yourself. And that's another powerful thing about acknowledging uh energies during the year, like in bulk, such a loaded time of year, is because that also, instead of walking narrower down a tunnel of self, it's kind of pulling us back, backwards to look at a bigger picture like, oh, there's something bigger than just me and my little problems going on right now. Mm -hmm. This is part of an earth cleansing and a renewal cycle. Um, Shadow work, as Carl Jung, I think, called it. But yeah, I think all this is like helpful for dealing with what we're going through. And it's bitter medicine, but that's just... I guess that's just how it works. I don't know. But, yeah. I'm, I can't lie. It's still rough. Even though the sun's out. Yeah. But usually there's like about another week I find that's really rough. And then I really start feeling like springs here. So, yeah. But anyway. And also, I guess I want to revisit something. Like I was thinking the first half of our podcast, we were sharing a lot of our... Uh, problems and hardships this last week. Now, what happens if I take my own advice? Like if I start taking this, all right, this is a challenge to my gratitude. Am I being grateful? And when I look back at like, you know, some of the thoughts, some of those things that are whispering in my ear, they're not grateful thoughts. Is that serving me? No. So why don't I address that? So like, I could be grateful, um, you know, I was talking about the hardships I'm having with some of the homeschool community of organizing something and like um, coming to agreements where I feel like our, our agreements are honored. Isn't it also true that I can be grateful for the opportunity was there at all, that we did have a gig that lasted like several weeks and we made some money that's, mm-hmm. you know, it's really useful to us. Um we can be grateful for, all right, I, I can't find a way to be grateful for Sherlock getting s- sprayed by that skunk yet. That's <laughs> well, master level. I'm not. The, yeah. oh, he could have been bitten. Yeah. So I can be grateful for something that didn't happen. He only got sprayed by a skunk. He didn't get bitten and get rabies. Or scratched or anything like, yeah. Yeah. And I remember this morning as we were talking about this stuff, another thing that occurred to me is uh, 
What is shadow work? That's a word I've been throwing around a lot because I heard it, and I guess I just like the, the sound of it. But when I ask myself, what is shadow work? I'm not sure. And I wonder if part of it isn't just facing your negativity to eradicate it. We don't, our shadow is part of us. We don't want to defeat it. Mm. So what are we talking about here? I feel like maybe we're talking about navigating it better, exploring it, finding a way that we can use our shadow instead of something that anchors us down and gives us bad advice uh, as a guide. And I think part of like what could be called shadow work is to use that negativity about all the things you're scared of, um, all your pessimistic views, and use that to highlight how lucky you are right now. Mm-hmm. You know, like... Just that. The, I've, I've heard it called broken glass Zen before, and broken glass Zen is a reminder that everything is on its way to becoming something else. Everything is going to break down. So if you have a glass, one day that glass's fate absolutely is to shatter. It will break. So every day that you have a gla- that glass and it hasn't broken, that's not something you're entitled to. It's a blessing. That's broken glass Zen. So... You know, when Sherlock has an encounter with a skunk and he doesn't have rabies afterwards, that's applying broken glass sand and maybe that's part of the shadow work. Like, yeah. let me invite the negative thought in and let's have a, a de- intelligent discussion with the negativity instead of just letting it define my reality behind me in a way that I'm not mindful of. And And something else is that if you don't have the the challenge or what is perceived as bad how can you compare it you know like you might just think everything is just normal when it's really going quite well for you you know what I mean you need that like a little bit of a comparison I think unless you're on the warrior's path yeah definitely agreed (laughs) and uh did you have anything any place you wanted to take us next Teresa no I didn't. Well, one thing I've been reflecting on lately is uh, how much all these things, whether it's a recognition of the time of year like in bulk or the skills that we work on themselves, how much they remind us of our connection to place. Like we literally are the place where we reside. Mm-hmm. Um I know that seems obvious, but it's something that at least I can say that I tend to forget a lot. If you ask me, you know, I'll answer as if I knew, but do you really know something when 90% of the time you're not acting like you think that? You just kind of have the right answer when somebody asks? Like a rote response. Yeah. So, like, I actually am made of this place. I'm not made of Canada, Mm-hmm. Although partly maybe I am because of imports and stuff like that. But I am directly, the more I, I tie into this land made of the things on this land, especially when you forage. But even if you don't forage, you know, the, the way the sun comes through the North Carolina air. Yeah. And we can feel the difference between here and the mountains, for instance. That's different quality of sunlight that is helping make up our body. And these skills... Um, as I'm trying to learn all these different skills. And by the way, like this month, I start primitive pottery, which I'm really excited about. I've done a little bit before. And uh, for the next two months, yeah, I'm going to see what I can learn with primitive pottery. But all these skills, like I'm trying to kind of learn all these different ways of starting a fire, for instance. But 
there is a way of starting a fire that is specifically good for this area. Most tribes, they learned like one way to do a shelter. It was the one way to do a shelter that worked where they lived. They learned one or two traps. That's all they needed. We go to survival classes. Like I took one at uh, Tom Brown's Tracking Nature and Wilderness Survival School. Um, and I think we learned over 200 traps. Oh, my God. <laughs> which is cool, you know, and I think I get what he's kind of going for, you know, so you learn how traps work. And once you learn how they work, you can kind of improvise. You can make up a trap. Mm-hmm. So it's more introducing you to all the different mechanisms that could be involved in traps. Wow. But still, it's kind of overwhelming, and it's it's interesting to realize that that's still sort of treating survival skills like a novelty. Like, I want to get a collection of how many ways to do things. Instead of, if you really live by a skill, you want to get really good at a really simple thing, the simplest thing you can possibly do to accomplish your goal. And you don't need 100 ways to do it. You need one or two ways that work. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that was kind of, uh, I was reminded of that Um Thinking about that, you know, just how all these skills are so specific to a time of year, Um, like pottery. You know, I want to start pottery, but I'm going to have to wait for a warm day. I'm not going to be digging into the frozen earth. Pottery is more (laughs) of a warm weather skill. Mm. And there's other things that are more cold weather skills, you know, like a pine tree. I would consider that more of a cold weather. You could do that in the summer, but you got other things to to forage in the summer. Yeah. So that's more something that you do in the winter. Yeah, at least the the bark. Yeah. Yeah, I was thinking about that um, also with regard to bow drill, because you've always uh, suggested, and I guess your teachers suggested, um, eastern red cedar, Juniperus virginiana. I've always heard that, like, it was introduced to me as kind of a middle-grade wood, um, not the best, but easy enough to start with, because... Uh, you know, my teacher was saying, like, I, they don't want to start you off with the easiest because after that, everything by contrast will seem hard, mm-hmm. difficult. So right in there in the middle. But I have found in my own experience, I'd still consider that one of the best. Hmm. Like, I seek that out if I'm doing friction fire. Yeah. So who knows? We have a lot of tulip poplar around here. And I've just been, it was actually my dad's favorite tree. I don't even know why that is a fact that I remember, but he really liked tulip poplar. <laughs> hmm. And I also have my own affinity toward tulip poplar. So, um, yeah, I might try to uh, make a set using some tulip poplar. Yeah, I've always liked tulip tree. I call it tulip tree because it's not technically a popl- poplar. That's one of those misnomers, and I find it kind of misleading. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, tulip tree. Liriodendron, oh, I can't remember it. It's got a beautiful Latin name. Mm. It like really stands out, Liriodendron something. But uh, yeah, I'm liking it more and more. It's becoming one of my favorite trees. I'm finding, I'm, I'm learning more and more uses for it. Okay. Such a useful tree. Big old stack of the peeled off bark. And supposedly, I haven't tried this yet, but you can supposedly um, kind of winnow it down and use it as a wick for making candles. Yeah, and I'm going to be one of my topics for studying this summer is lighting. Um, so I'm going to be learning more about that. Finally. 
And since we're talking about this time of year, and, uh, you know, um, I'm, another thing that's happening that's a more positive thing is uh, this is Sherlock's birthday month. Thirteen years ago, somewhere in the month of February, Sherlock was born. Aww. And I got him when he was really small. Like, he shouldn't have even been weaned yet. I could just hold him in one hand easily. He's just a little ball of fur. He would have trouble, like, going up and down steps. <laughs> um, so... I was thinking, since it's Sherlock's birthday, maybe we could share something that we like about Sherlock, whether it's a memory, a favorite memory, or just some appreciation. Like, let's throw some throw some uh, some light his way, yo. Yeah, Sherlock has such a unique personality for a dog, and I he he is not a people person. But some of the people that have met him have remarked on, like, how, and I'm not exactly sure what they mean by this, but, like, how human he is or, like, how his eyes are so human. And uh, he really does have the best expressions. And when he gets, um, like, when he gets bothered by something, exasperated, he goes, <sighs> <sighs> So... Yeah, I just really love Sherlock's essence, mm-hmm. but not the stank essence. <laughs> the effin' essence. Yeah, uh, something I've I really love about Sherlock is uh, how much he tries to be a good boy, and he's always been like that. Like he really, um, <laughs> like loves me and really tries to uh, be good and. It's not like in a robotic kind of way. He's still got his personality. He's still got his stubborn streaks. He's still got his own ideas about what being his job is and what being good means that don't always agree with mine. But uh, it always has shown through like pretty much every moment of his life that he wants to be good. That is a dog with I don't even know what to call that. Um, Just a. a goodness to him. He's got a goodness to him. I've seen some, just like humans, you know, I've seen some dogs that are assholes. I've seen some dogs that are selfish. I've seen dogs that are just defiant, that actually do things. And you can tell they know that it's wrong and they're doing it anyway. Sometimes they do it from the, for the joy of doing something wrong, just like people. (laughs) I've seen all this. Um, but yeah, he's always been just such a, I don't think I could have done the things I've done if I didn't, if I had another dog. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, traveling around the way we have, and uh, I can walk him without a leash through the city, you know, and just he, he stops at roads when I tell him to. He just has, his behavior has really made our life together so much easier than another dog would have. Yeah. So that's something I can share about Sherlock. Mm-hmm. You got anything else that occurs to you? Well, there's so many things, but I guess the the other thing that really stands out is that he loves adventuring and life in general. And don't get me wrong, like, he also loves laying in the same couple spots in the yard all day and soaking up the sun. But when he has the opportunity to go in the water, he generally does. And uh, as we've mentioned in some of our previous podcasts, he's had a lot of... uh, experiences in his life, some harrowing tales that he just, he just keeps on going. Mm -hmm. 
What about your dad? This is the uh, anniversary of your dad's uh, graduation day, mm-hmm. so to speak. What are What's a memory or something you'd want our listeners to know about your dad on this day? My dad was like so, so much dedicated to his family. And uh, I didn't appreciate that, unfortunately, so much when I was, when he was alive, when we were together. But, uh, but yeah, he was uh, always like, it's, well, I wasn't prepared. He was, (laughs) he was always willing to kind of put maybe what he wanted back a little bit. So he would work more. He would do, you know, whatever my mom needed to be done, even though that's not what he necessarily wanted. But, um, but he stuck with her and stuck with us. And I just, I wish, uh, I wish we had strong people like that. Yeah. Uh, appreciating things about people while they're here instead of looking back, man, that's, that's like one of the curses of this life is it's so hard to do that. And it's such a, a tragic feeling thing. I definitely, I think most of us have experienced that. And, uh, I'll say this about Mike, your dad. Um, he was such a sweet guy. He was just like, um, there was no meanness in him. You know, like when I, every time I met Mike, he was just so, uh, friendly and just seemed like unpretentious, like really, uh, real. Um, and it's so good to see somebody being real who broadcasts such a sweet, uh, and it's weird for me to keep using the word sweet for a a man, but (laughs) he just had that kind of nature, you know, just like friendly and like, yeah, I really appreciated that about him. I think that he really didn't encounter a lot of, um, like, when I say worldly knowledge, like he had never really been done wrong by people. And I think that's why he stayed so kind, um, and, and honest is because he didn't know about lying. I mean, I'm sure my dad lied at some point, but you know what I mean? It wasn't his, his go-to answer. It was like, well, everybody's been nice to me, so I should be nice to everybody. Yeah. It's like some people go through life and they seem less, uh, more unscathed than others. Like, I feel like I'm carrying around a lot of dirt and baggage and, you know, I'm, I've got scars. I've got like parts of my personality that are, are dark. Um, and it's like things stick to me. And a lot of people, I think most people have that where, you know, you can kind of see their baggage. Um, but then people like Mike seem to skirt through life easier somehow. They don't have, they don't seem so weighed down. And I don't know how people do that, but I admire that because I think it's a better way to be. I think of that saying, "Why? Do, how does the butterfly fly? Mm-hmm. Because it takes itself so lightly. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. And I also want to take a moment to remember my mom yeah. um, for this time of year. Um, likewise, my mom had a lot of those same I mean, she didn't remind me of Teresa's dad. It was a different personality, but yet there was something kind of um, sweet about my mom, too. And, uh, yeah. And I like the way my mom was also just uh, gentle is a good word and just constantly supportive. My mom was always behind me. Um, 
she would question me. She would challenge me. She wasn't just a uh, a doormat, you know. She was, but she was always supportive. She always let me know she was proud of me, and I wish that she could see the things that I've been working on since she's left, because she would have loved them. <laughs> Towards the end of her life, I tried to share like you know some of my things I was learning, like how to flint nap an arrowhead out of a glass bottom bottle, but. She was, uh, you know, so distracted with her own suffering and um, that it wasn't a good time. But I wish, you know, when she was at a healthier time, she could see like the hammock stand and the flutes. Man, she would have loved the flutes. <laughs> Sat in the bushcraft chair, you know, she would have just really, she helped instill a love for this kind of life. Like living like a hobbit, you know, thatched roofs, uh, bare feet. You know, a little earthen shelters, things like that, like the fireplace. She would have loved that. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm, I'm glad to take a moment to uh, appreciate my mom. And again, we have a podcast where Teresa interviews her uh, Rebel Without a Cause interview, Nancy. <laughs> um, that's a good introduction to my mom. But, yeah, you got any memory or thoughts about my mom you want to share? Well, I just love how you would tell me stories of her sneaking in whole entrees in her purse into the movie theater. <laughs> I just I just love that image. Who does that? <laughs> now I do. Well, we haven't gone to the movies in a while, but I tried. Yeah. She was a scoundrel, my mom. <laughs> so how do you feel, Teresa? I guess our energy's low. Do you want to start wrapping up this episode if you got nothing else on your list? I really don't. I I just um it was good to to remember good things and to reflect. I liked that. I think I'm in a better place, but I really don't have that much to say. It's it's like you are actually giving me advice and I was listening for once. <laughs> just in real time on a podcast as it's recording. And hopefully we'll be in a higher mind state next week, but if you're like us, man, if this time of year you really feel that that uh, power of bulk. <laughs> just know you're not alone. Like a lot of people, especially this time of year, there's something poignant about it. And, uh, yeah, let's just keep riding it out. Out. Um, I'll give you a, a final, um, gift listeners. Teresa and I have had many an argument over how to hard boil a damn egg. Oh, please. Um, and yeah, I mean, heated arguments about the how to hard boil an egg. So I want to share my uh, my favorite way to do it. And I got this off the internet. Like if you Google how to hard boil an egg, it's pretty much the top thing that always comes up. And I have found it to work most of the time. Not all the time. Yeah. Of course, the big thing is it's easy to hard boil the egg. How do you get the shell not to stick to it? That's the challenge. Yeah. So... I'll put however many eggs I'm going to hard boil, and this is a good uh, tip now, you know, with all the the, the egg crisis, Mm -hmm. nobody affording eggs. So you put the eggs, cover them with water. You don't need any more, just enough where they're solidly covered. Then put it on the fire or the stove, bring it to a boil. As soon as it's at a rolling boil, take it off. Uh, I like to put a lid on, let it sit for 12 minutes, and then either drain it, if that you know, your setup is easy to drain the water or take the eggs out and put them in cold water, running water if you can. Um, if you can't, like we don't always have running water, at least dip them, like put them in the cold water for mm-hmm. at least a moment. 
That seems to help. That's my best approach to hard-boiling eggs, and I love eating them with salt. Mm -hmm. So we've been doing that a lot lately. We do that pretty frequently anyway, but with the current egg situation and us finding so many eggs in the dumpster, you know, that's one of our ways to try to make them last and use them in a different way. Um, Yeah, I will say this about the method. If you have a stove, that's great. If you have a fire that's acting ornery, 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 then uh, you better uh, pay attention because I think this last batch, it took too long to bring it up to a boil. And so they are sticking like hell to the shell. Mm -hmm. So... Yeah, so let us know your experiences, or if you've got a better way to do it, I would be really interested if there's some, like, thing you're hearing, like, oh, that's not the way I do it, and I never have eggs sticking. I would value that information more than you probably know. (laughs) So, um, for our listener write-in, we've got Stephen from California, and uh, I'm going to try to do this in a light California accent. Um, of course, we all know that everyone from California sounds 100% like a valley girl, <laughs> just as we all know that everyone from North Carolina sounds 100% like Gomer Pyle. Oh, golly. Shazam! <laughs> all right, <clears throat> here we go. Subject Aeropress. Aeropress, by the way, uh, is a method of making coffee that Cole Cracker Um, who we've talked about his YouTube channel, all kinds of great bushcraft stuff. He really recommends this AeroPress. So we were talking about that a couple episodes ago. It's basically like a French press, but doesn't involve glass. Yeah. It's like a plastic and uh, probably some sort of silicone thing. Stephen goes on to say, From the occupied lands of the Chumash and Mountain Lion... The occupied waterways of steelhead trout and southern sea otter, and the occupied skies of the California condor. Greetings, Gumby and Teresa. Don Juan would say, these details don't matter, but here's an introduction. My name is Stephen. I'm 46 years old. Same age as you, I believe, Gumby. Damn. (laughs) (laughs) All right, messed that one up. That was my bad, my bad. Wage slaving and full-time hashtag van lifing with my wife. Hashtag van wifing. Oh. That was a good one. I give you full credit on that. In Southern California, I discovered your podcast a few years back on a search for a Peace Pilgrim podcast and have been a fan ever since. Definitely my favorite podcast. I was sad to see you go last year, but thrilled you to have you back podcasting. In a recent podcast, you had mentioned wanting an AeroPress. Just so happens I have an extra one in my possession. Give me a mailing address, and I'll send it out your way, assuming you haven't bought one already. I have donated in the past, but money's tight for me right now, so hopefully the AeroPress makes up for it. Keep on keeping on G&T. Stephen. Stephen. Well, Stephen, that. Oh, my God. We have been struggling with our coffee situation so direly. That if you can send us an AeroPress, oh my God, that would be so awesome. And man, I hope it helps address um, us making better coffee. So I've been having technical difficulties. I've tried to send you our mailing address. We have a, a house that can pick up our mail for us for the next couple of months before we head to the mountains. So, uh, I've been having like these responses like failure to deliver email or whatever. So if you're if you haven't gotten anything from me yet, Stephen, and you hear this, uh, please reach out again and I will try to find some other way to get that address to you. 
Um, yeah, money t- tight in California. Oh my God, I don't know how anybody lives like a hobo in California. Yeah. We just found it. And of course, we just drove through it. I'm sure the more you live there, just like we learn all kinds of like free campsites and stuff by being here over time. But boy, everything was so expensive. Yeah. I think California is the only place since I've had this van that we once filled up the tank twice in the same day. And that was what broke me. That was like, I'm getting the hell out of California. <laughs> um, to be fair, that wasn't California's fault that we were driving through it so much. But the gas prices, I would blame California for that. Yeah. And I would blame California. I think it is their fault. As long as, <laughs> as well as the Californians. Oh. Yeah. Huh. And thank you for donating previously, Stephen. I don't know if I might have his email address somehow from the donation thing, but I'll have to go back and check. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I found it interesting that Stephen was looking for an episode on Peace Pilgrim, which happens to be, I think, the only podcast we did in California. Oh! So that was an interesting little bit of kismet there. Um, Hmm... Let's see. I'm trying to look back at his uh, email and see if there was anything else I wanted to mention. Um, what about you, Teresa? Anything jump out at you? I just, I really appreciate that he listened to our podcast and continues to listen and is like so supportive. And if this is a CIA scam, it was really slick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, at this point, I am so distrustful that pretty much every message I get, I'm like thinking like, now, if this was a bot, what what would they be trying to get me to do? Because with chat GT, what, GPT. GPT and all that stuff, I mean, the, someone could literally like ask chat GPT, uh, can you give me a... Um, can you write me an email that would be the most likely uh, way to get a this information? <laughs> I mean, we're pretty much there with technology. And you're pretty much desperate for a good cup of coffee. And this, yeah, wouldn't that be the perfect way? <laughs> that would be the bait to a Gumby trap. Hey, here's a better way to make coffee. Yeah, this is what we know. That's how you would lead me off a cliff. This is what we know. We know he is desperate for a good cup of coffee. So, bada bing, bada boom. And if you gave me a good cup of coffee to sip as as I was falling off that cliff, I would probably die content. (laughs) So, thank you, Stephen. Let's make this happen. I am very excited. Um, Thank you so much. And let's see. uh, If you have any questions or comments, dirty jokes, uh, anything you'd like to share, We used to have a big collection of listener write-ins. I wrote them all down. Some of them were long in a notebook. When we stopped the podcast, I got rid of that notebook. I thought we were really done. I didn't think we were taking a break. I got rid of all of it. He's such a minimalist. Yeah. So we have not had a donation um, since we came back, which is fine because we had so many generous donations before we stop the podcast. Mm -hmm. So if you've already donated, this isn't to put you on a guilt trip. We are still so thankful for those donations. And we got quite a few of them. Um, But yeah, things have been slim, I guess, for everybody since we came back, which is fine because our primary reason for doing this is not as a moneymaker. It's always a nice surprise when we we actually get some kind of donation. Um, It's because we want to share this stuff. Mm -hmm. But in lieu of a donation, if you can't do that right now, you could write in. Yeah. So, yeah, that's where I was going. Just uh, send us a message. We appreciate those, and it'll help me restock our choices of, uh, 
You know, we used to try to find like a message that seemed to fit the theme of what we were talking about. So it'd be good to to have more messages. And uh, another way that you could uh, support us if you cannot make a donation is share our podcast. See if there's somebody you know that might, you know, enjoy what we're sharing. Um, we'd love to get a little bit bigger. We don't want to be too big because I got a feeling the things we talk about, if we got too big, that would be the end of us. <laughs> I just want to make it through this week. <laughs> <laughs> but picking up a few more people would be nice. Uh, give us a review, five stars if you think we deserve it. It would spread our podcast further, uh, get it more advertised or whatever. Um, you can reach us at www.escapingsociety.com. Weebly, B as in hmm, Sherlock's birthday. Bur- oh God! <laughs> All right, B as in birthday. dot com. Um, have a donate button there. Uh, you should try it and see if it still works. Um, have a YouTube channel. Don't watch that. Watch Cole Cracker. Our, our YouTube videos suck. Um, and we have a Facebook page that we don't ever use that anymore. Um, so I guess really all we should be sharing is the website. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's up to you, but yeah. Yep. We've, we've whittled it down to the marrow. Um, and is there anything I'm forgetting? No, just to thank everybody. All right. Hang in there, everybody. Spring is coming. The signs are all over the place. It just really might suck right now. Like Stephen said, keep on keeping on. Mm-hmm. Oh, society sucks and we don't need it. It's killing your kids, so why do you feed it? They'll tell you to stay, but you don't need to heed it. You can give them the finger. There's no time to linger. So, thank you for listening to our song. It's not very good and it went kind of long. Don't care if you like it cause we'll be gone. Over that next horizon. We ain't got no 